0: This is a message given by Pastor James Lim during the evening worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for August 27th, 2023. The title of the message is Priorities of Grace. Well, we come now to uh, the reading of God's word. If you'd open your Bibles with me to Titus chapter 3, we're nearing the end of Paul's uh, pastoral epistles. Last week, we looked at um, verses 9 to 11, uh, thinking about uh, avoiding uh, divisive, uh, divisiveness in the church as well as divisive people. Uh, who would uh, destroy the unity of the church and uh, and how we ought to implement church discipline uh, with regards to those people and, and the importance of church discipline and now we come to verses twelve to fifteen to the end and uh, and as we 'll see in a moment, you know you can only do good you can only do good church discipline if you have good church leadership. And that's what we're going to look at this evening. Hear now the reading of God's holy word, beginning in verse 12. When I send Artemis and uh, Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Faith. Grace be with you all. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. May he add his blessing to it this evening. As we did this morning, we come to the end of Paul's letter in Titus. It's great how that works out. Uh, last week, we looked at the importance of church discipline, and this week, we're going to look at the importance of good church leadership. That church discipline is not only uh, one of the three marks of a, of a true church, but it is one of the core marks of a healthy church, right? preaching of God's word, the right administration of the sacraments, and church discipline. Uh, And so that's what we looked at last week, and this week we're going to look at the context in which that church discipline and much of those marks uh, are exhibited, are lived out. And so tonight, after describing the importance of church discipline, verses 9 to 11, Paul turns to the importance of church leadership, that a healthy church will engage in healthy church discipline. uh, but you cannot do that without healthy church leadership. And so Paul concludes his letter to, to Titus with the final instructions on the character and the necessity of, of healthy church leadership. So let's look at what healthy church leadership looks like. If we are to have a healthy church, then we must first have godly leadership. We must have godly leaders who reflect the godliness of grace in Christ Jesus. We must, uh, they must be godly leaders who fulfill the qualifications that we've read over the past several months in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 to fulfill those qualifications of elders and deacons. And not just leaders, but I think every, every, church, every member of a church ought to aspire at least to it. And uh, sometimes I think I like to put it this way, that those who qualify as elders and deacons are simply just more mature uh, and can help the younger ones or the less mature along the way. And that's kind of really what sets them apart. And so what we see here in Paul's final instructions to Titus is the need for godly leadership among the churches. And so what does Paul do? What does he request of Titus? He asks for Titus to, to send and to receive godly leaders. Look at verse 12. Uh, when I, and then this is, this is implied. This is the presupposition for these verses. Uh, when I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do you, do you see that? Paul, sends, Paul asks for, or Paul sends two leaders to Titus in Crete so that Titus is freed to come to Nicopolis to be with him. And, um, and what, that, uh, what that presupposes is that he at least thinks that Artemis or, or Tychicus uh, are worthy replacements in leadership for, or worthy successors for the time being for Titus, right? Titus was handpicked by Paul to minister in Crete and throughout the churches that he planted uh, to pastor the people of God, right? And this was the the, the model that, that Paul had of, of the apostolic mission to the Gentiles, that he would plant churches as a tent maker. You know, he would evangelized as many people as he could, gather them, start a church, and when maybe like one or two years, when when he's gathered a a critical mass of members, then he would bring in Timothy or Titus to pastor the church, to shepherd the church, to grow the church deeper and wider in the gospel. And and I think here he is uh, writing to Titus to continue that. That maybe in Nicopolis he's planting a church or he's growing a church that he wants Titus to take over and then Paul can go on. Or Paul Paul might be just asking for Titus to shepherd him. You know, I think uh, in in verse 12 there's a kind of sense in which Paul says, do your best to come to me. And I think maybe it's just a reminder that uh, even, even apostles, need um, shepherding. Even apostles needed uh, Christian ministry and fellowship from other godly leaders and pastors, that no one is above uh, having a pastor, <laughs> uh, even pastors. And uh, so Paul sends these two to Titus because he thinks that they're good leaders and that they fill a need there. And he sends them, I think, um, to he he goes on, he he to, to come to him. But in the meantime, before Artemis and Tychicus can get to him, Paul asks Titus to do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way to him. To send, to go ahead and send Zenus and Apollos to him. And we don't really know a lot about Artemis. Uh, But Tychicus, in the book of Acts, and you can see him mentioned throughout the New Testament, uh, as a dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord. He was a co-laborer with Paul, uh, kind of part of that apostolic band of brothers who would help him plant churches, and they would do plant churches wherever. So they're proven leaders. They're proven leaders, godly, uh, and, and Paul is... That presupposes that godly leadership, or else Paul would not have asked for them to come to him to help him, or or for to send other god leader leaders to Titus to help uh, them in that work. And and so Titus here is a proven pastor and shepherd of God's people, which is Paul, why Paul wrote this letter to him and asks him to come. And see, we t- we see two integral. Two things integral to godly leadership here in these verses. First, we need to recognize, recruit, and place godly leaders in local churches the way that Paul does here. Paul, Paul, these are proven godly leaders that are moved around uh, according to the, to their gifts and to their need. And in some ways, maybe the closest thing that we're doing uh, to that right now, for example, is you know Skip McLean, one of our. Uh, one of our beloved elders is helping a church plant uh, in Thousand Oaks, and so that's why you don't see him every week. You see him maybe once or twice a month, uh, and he goes up regularly to Thousand Oaks to to help shepherd the people there in that church plant. And so we're sending him as a, as a church planting, so to speak, a church planting elder. Um. Secondly, we have to give them all the resources that they need to execute their office as godly leaders in the church of Jesus Christ. Look at the end of verse 13 there, right? Paul makes it a point to tell Titus, he says, do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way, and then he goes on, look at what he says there, see that they lack nothing. Now, it could be that, that he's telling them don't let them lack anything for their trip. And that, that, that's probably one way to look at it. But I think it's a little bit more expansive. You just you see that the, uh, the semicolon kind of breaks up that thought. And it says, see that they lack nothing. I think he's saying, see that they lack nothing in their overall ministry. Um, and so give them everything that they need to be... Godly leaders, right? We give them everything they need to shepherd the flock of God well. And this could include full-time vocational pastors, right? It means paying them so that they can devote themselves to the work of ministry, to the work of mission and church planting. Uh, this is why Paul makes the argument for paying pastors in First Timothy 5. He says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the labor deserves his wages. So that's one application. Another application is for bivocational ministry. Uh, those who serve the church while tent making, having regular jobs, but serving as elders or preachers and teachers in the church and not drawing a salary from the people. Right, this is what Paul did. Paul said that I am preaching the gospel free of charge. (laughs) In other words, when people, when they collect money from the people at a local church and then they would help pay to support the pastor or the preacher, Paul, because he was an apostle, didn't want to be, want them to feel obligated to him or he didn't want to obligate them to pay him. So he worked as a tent maker and he preached the gospel and nobody had to pay him. Uh, and but in that scenario, uh, you know sometimes pastors, bivocational pastors, don't make a lot of money. It's it's really hard to have a regular nine to five, forty hour a week job, and devote as much as time as you need to pastor a church or to at least be part of a pastoring team. And sometimes it just doesn't work, or one or the other starts to suffer. And in many cases those bivocational pastors sometimes will work less so that they can pastor more. And because they work less, they need more help. And so it could mean helping them in a diaconal way to pay some bills or to pray for them at the very least. Uh, But the most important resource that godly leaders need is the support, encouragement, obedience, and the prayers of the people of God. Uh, When a new pastor is ordained or installed in a new congregation, uh, uh, based grounded in the language of the office of of minister and teacher and of the leadership of of the church, uh, the, the OPC, for example, has this question. Listen carefully. You can see the biblical foundations for it. In which the moderator asks the church, now that you've installed this new pastor, here's your responsibility to them. See that they lack nothing, not just in their needs, but they lack nothing uh, in, in the fact that they are leading you, the people of God. And, and the, men, the moderator asks this, do you, the members of this church, acknowledge and receive this brother as a ruling elder or deacon? And do you promise to yield to him all that honor, encouragement, and obedience in the Lord, to which his office, according to the word of God and the constitution of this church, entitles him? You see, when, when Paul says, see that they lack nothing, it means that they, they don't lack uh, the godly submission that the people of God ought to, to give to them. Um, So friends, brothers and sisters, God calls us to support, encourage, and care for the leaders, and like Titus, see that they lack nothing. And, and friends, uh, brothers and sisters, I'm just very thankful to be in a church where uh, you guys care for my needs, that I lack nothing. Not just in money, uh, not just in, in kind of encouragement, but, but I lack nothing because I know you pray for me. I know you encourage me. I know you tell me the tr- hard truths that even I need to hear, uh, talking to my fellow brothers uh, on the session. Um, and and as a, as, a, as a church, your godly lives ref- are reflected in the, the fact that you uh, submit to the leadership of this church in the Lord. And I'm very thankful for that. So I can say, you know, that, that, uh, that, uh, that, you, that I lack nothing because of your care for me as a pastor and also for our elders, uh, not just me. I mean, I'm a pastor, but uh, I'm just one of many elders on our, on our church, as well as the deacons and any other, anyone else who exercises leadership in our church. See that they lack nothing. Let me just make one more observation here. We see also a plurality of godly leadership in the church. I, don't, I think we don't really notice until we read through this passage. We're like, oh, you know, those names. But look at the number of people. Look at the, the very fact that Paul is asking for to receive and to send people to him or to Titus, right? He's asking for pairs of people or he's going to receive pairs of people to go back and forth with Titus. And what that means is that it presupposes a plurality, more than one. Right? The, the, the church of Jesus Christ is not a monarchy. Uh, it's not a, uh, you know, a, a religious dictatorship, Christianized, where you have you know, a dear leader who, who speaks from on high and everyone does what he says. No, there's a plurality of leadership where there's more than one, maybe two, maybe three, in which they make decisions together. They minister together as a team. Uh, not one person has uh, power over the others, but there is a a uh, parity and a plurality. Uh, and this is why we have. Why I think that this is the beauty and the biblical. I don't know if this is a real word, but the biblicality. <laughs> Someone else can tell me if that's a real word, but the biblicality of Presbyterian church uh, government. Proverbs 15.22 says, Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. And that's what what you see reflected in in the very idea presupposed in Paul's uh, request here and what we try to do uh, as a church of Jesus Christ. Uh, Secondly, if we are to have a healthy church... We, um, we not only raise up godly leaders, um, but we, we do so in order to devote ourselves to godly living. Godly leaders who help devote for us to devote ourselves to godly living. What good is leadership if uh, they don't lead to anything good? Right? What good is godly leadership if they don't lead to godliness? Which leads us then into Paul's second instruction here. He tells Titus what his leadership should include. He says, Let our and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. What does this mean? The purpose of godly leadership is for godly learning. The grace of the gospel redeems us from the penalty and the power of sin and death in the life of the believer. And the gospel calls us to a life of discipleship, a life of learning and, and following after Jesus, to sit at his feet and learn from him all the days of our lives. This is what discipleship is it presupposes that it's something that we have to learn, not something that comes naturally or is an innate in our Christianity and in our faith. It's something that we have to learn. Because we did not know it before. And so if we presuppose that we have to learn something, then we then we have to unlearn other things. So here's what we what Paul, I think Paul is saying here, is to learn godliness, to devote ourselves to godliness and unlearn our devotion, our past devotion to sin uh, and and unbelief and iniquity and, and transgressions. We have to unlearn the habits of sin and the works of the flesh in our lives and learn anew to walk in newness of life, in new obedience to be more and more like Christ. We have to study, meditate, apply, teach others and be taught ourselves how to live the Christian life. This means that a life of discipleship is a lifelong endeavor to keep on learning how to follow Jesus. the life of discipleship and learning. We must not only learn, right, in terms of kind of, you know, not just information and then trying to to apply it, but we have to, to do more than that. We have to devote ourselves to godly living. This means offering our lives as an act of devotion to the Lord. It means dedicating our lives to following Jesus not making it a minor part of our lives. Uh, And this is what I think sometimes we think about as disciples. Maybe we we take this for granted, but, but we try to fit God into the busyness of our lives rather than us trying to fit our lives into the life of God, to live a life for God. That's what devotion is devotion is an all is an all or nothing endeavor you can't go halfway you can't go part time it's all or nothing that's what devotion is i think this is what jesus meant when he said Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Devotion, learning to devote ourselves to the Lord, Means devoting our whole lives to Him, and and then everything else we do, we do for Him. So it, so this completely cha- changes the way that we do everything. Uh, sometimes I think uh, here I'll give you one example with money, right? When we think about tithing, right? We think about giving the Lord ten percent, right? We think that ninety percent we don't give and we keep is ours. And then we give God the 10%. And here's yours, Lord. But if we devote our whole lives to God, then, and it turns all of that upside down. And what it means is we use the 90% that the Lord, that that we keep, we devote it uh, to the Lord in the way that we use it. And then we give the Lord the 10% that signifies all that we have. And we give it to him for him to use uh, in his, at his discretion in the life of the church. Do you, see, do you see it's a radical difference about what it means to devote ourselves? It means that everything we are, everything we do, is, ought to be to the Lord, for the Lord. And, uh, and then we fit everything else uh, under that banner, under that umbrella. It's not, it's no longer, you know, I'm going to, you know, six days a week, I'm going to do my thing. And then on the seventh day, uh, I'll do whatever God wants me to do. Um, No, God, he's the Lord of, he's the Lord of, of your life. So everything you do ought to be an act of devotion unto him. And then we must devote ourselves, not only particularly, uh, we we devote ourselves to godly living and in particular to good works. Look at what he goes on to say, to good works so as to help cases of urgent need. Now, Pastor James, doesn't that sound a little works-oriented, a little works-righteousness? Aren't we saved by grace, not by our good works? Yes, that's all true, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. Uh, We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from works, completely, full stop, period. But we are also saved by grace, apart from good works, in order to evidence that salvation, to do by doing good works. God saves us from our bad works, not to continue in them, but to do good works, to show that we have been redeemed. This is the whole point of Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, and I, I, um, I, uh, I say this all the time, right? We, we cut short the grace of God by stopping at verse 9, but we hear the whole thing from verses 8 to 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are saved apart from good works in order to do good works. We do good works not in order to be saved, but because we have been saved. We do good works not to earn God's grace, but because we already have God's grace. And that's why Paul gives this instruction at the end. That when we do good works, we do them for those who are poor and needy to help those in need. And so we do good works as we bear the good fruit of genuine faith and salvation in Christ and therefore not be unfruitful. That we show ourselves to be united to Christ because he is the vine and we are the branches and apart from him we can do nothing. That by our good works we show ourselves to be who we are. Jesus said you will know them by their fruit. And so if we do good works to help those in need And that means we are bearing fruit and therefore we will not be unfruitful. And therefore we will show ourselves to be in Christ. And so let me uh, come to the conclusion here. If we are to have a healthy church, we we need godly leaders for godly living in the context then out of godly love. Just like we read this morning, Paul closes with a greeting that expresses his deep love and affection for Titus and for all the saints. And look what he says there. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. You see, this is the final apologetic, uh, as Francis Schaeffer once said. You don't win people to Jesus with watertight logic and persuasive biblical arguments. Although that helps. But you won't win them, ultimately, to them because of that. You win them with the love of Jesus Christ. You win them with the love of God that he has shown to us in Christ. You win them with the unconditional, gospel-centered, Christ-exalting, grace-empowered love of God. And as we greet those we love, we show the world what that love is and what it looks like. So when we show the world this kind of love... It ought to show a fallen world hungry and thirsting for this kind of love to show them what they don't have so that they will want that love for themselves. There's a scene at the end of, of um, uh, the old 90s movie, *Jeremy Maguire. And uh, if you know the movie at the end, Rod Tidwell, Jerry Maguire's a sports agent, and his uh, he has one and he has one client, Rod Tidwell. And if he gets hurt uh, during the season, his whole career is shot. And um, so, at the end of one of their last game, he catches a ball and he gets hit so hard that he's knocked out. But but he's also scored the touchdown. But he's knocked out, and Jerry Maguire. They've built up a deep, intimate friendship and they love one another. And he's freaking out. Everybody's freaking out because he's not getting up. Finally, he gets up and they scored the touchdown, and he's the star of the game. And uh, and because of what he's done, he's probably going to get the multi million dollar sports contract that he's been working for. And at the end, when everybody, all the press, surround him, they're taking pictures. Uh, and a star is born in, in, this, in this character, Rod Hidwell. And the first thing he does is he looks for his friend whom he loves, Jerry Maguire. And he says, Jerry, where are you? And some of you know this scene. They embrace because they love one another so much. And, and everyone's just taking pictures because they're so moved by the love between this, pa- this player and his, and his agent. And then there's a scene, that, and then it cuts to a scene where Jerry's nemesis, Bob Sugar, who's this cold-hearted jerk, uh, uh, another player that he had stolen from Jerry looks at, his, uh, looks at Bob Sugar and says, why don't we have that kind of relationship? And then Bob Sugar, like, in this pathetic way, just tries to hug him. And, and, the, and the player just pushes him away. Forget it. And he just walks away. Why? Because he sees a a deep love that he knows he doesn't have in in his own agent. And this is how godly leadership should lead to godly living, cultivating godly love. So the world can look in and see as we greet one another in love so that the grace of Christ would be with us. And the world can ask, why don't we have that kind of relationship? That though they can't find it in the world, they can find it in the church, among the saints, in the gospel. So friends, brothers and sisters, let's do that. Let's have that kind of relationship so that the world can ask, how can I have that kind of relationship? Amen? Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the love that we have, the godly leadership you provide. Uh, Lord, and we pray, Father, that uh, in a healthy church, uh, the people would see how we love one another, and they will want to uh, a taste of that, and they will want you. Help us, Lord, to be that kind of community, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.